All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Thank you for coming today. I know some of you guys are still making your way through the line, but I'm going to uh, talk a little bit and let you guys know what we're doing today. For those of you who this is your first time or you're not regularly a part of Surge, would you mind, or of the Surge lunch, sorry, would you mind raising your hand just so I can get a feel? Okay, great. Um, so this is our first time meeting at New City. We're so thankful. I saw Brian. Where's Brian? He left? All right. Um, so we're so thankful for um, New City to host us here downtown. Um, we are going to be starting, at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about the next lun the lunches that we're doing in the coming months. Um, but it's really great to have a, this location to meet downtown. So we're really thankful. There's Brian. Thank you guys for hosting. Um, so Surge, depending on who you are and how long you've been in Phoenix or how many of us you know, is described as different things by different pastors and leaders. And so um, if you, this is one of your first times here and you're feeling like you're at someone else's kind of family gathering, we've heard that, that description of us a lot, um, we understand that awkward feeling. So please um, continue to come, get to know other pastors and leaders in our city. We love having you here. And um, we love the work that God is doing throughout the city, not just here at Surge, but all sorts of different networks throughout the valley um, to be able to gather so many pastors and leaders together around common, um, a common heart for blessing the city is really important. And so we're thankful to have you. Uh, Surge is a network of churches. There's about 35 kind of core congregations that are committed to working through um, a leadership development every year in their churches. So we have a program called Surge School that a lot of churches will take their different members through. Um, we do this lunch once a month that's kind of broader. Um, and then we have different initiatives that happen throughout the year and things that we partner together on. Today, specifically, we're going to be having a conversation called Leading Your Church Through Controversy. And I kind of wanted to set it up a little bit for you guys so you would know, for those of you who maybe this is your first time or you um, haven't been too connected to us, that you would know a little bit of where we're starting at. So about a year and a half ago, we started having conversations, maybe two years ago, um, around um, Black Lives Matter. We did a surge lunch on um, Muslim-Christian uh, partnerships and friendships. Um, we've, been, we've been talking for a while about the need to be leaders in the church and helping our people engage um, in Jesus-like ways with issues of justice and reconciliation. And so today, we're going to talk about what it, you know, we've just went through a very crazy summer. There's lots of going on, whether it's politically with a campaign. Um, there was the shootings, and, you know, we've been talking about that. There's always conflict whenever you're in leadership with just individuals within your congregations, within your own homes. Conflict is just a part of um, what we're constantly working through as leaders. And so we wanted to take some time, especially in light of all that happened in July um, with the different shootings and the complexity around the election, to kind of pause and say, okay, what does it look like as pastors, as leaders, to lead through controversy in a way that honors God, that speaks up for truth and justice, um, and that points uh, to the world that we as Christians care. We care about the city. We care about the most vulnerable and the marginalized. And we know that sin is complex. And all of these issues are really, really complex. And so today, we're not going to do this like other surge lunches in the past, where we're going to kind of have some people up here to help you understand the problem. Uh, we um, have had several of those lunches, and so we're kind of starting a little bit further down the road today. Um, so if you're here and you're still trying to wrap your mind around, like, what do I think about this? You know, how does this work out? Um, we invite you to just to listen in, to sit with us, um, ask whatever questions you want. But no, we're kind of starting already assuming that you are here needing 
wanting to help people within your congregations or within your organizations um, represent Christ well in the midst of controversy. If you are wanting to kind of dig deeper into some of these topics around racial reconciliation, we are doing more events in the near future. So we're going to be leading a book study called uh, Through Divided by Faith. We have about 15 pastors who've signed up for that. So that's a great introduction into this discussion on um, race and racial reconciliation and some of the division within the church. Um, we're going to be bringing in some different speakers um, as well. So we do have other opportunities that we're going to be able to talk about. Today you're going to get to hear from a really rich group of leaders who are leading in different contexts. So some are coming from a suburban context, predominantly white, middle and upper class. Some are coming from urban contexts that are multi-ethnic. So we realize every person in this room is responsible to lead different types of people at different places in our city. And so what's so exciting is to think about what it would look like for all of us to kind of begin to press in deeper to see how do we honor God in the midst of um, the controversy and what's happening. And what are, what are we to say? How are we to say it? When are we to speak? Because at the end of the day, this really comes down to discipleship within our churches. And how do we disciple our people to be like Jesus in the midst of an angry, hate-filled, spewing words, um, a really flat perspective from the world on what's going on. So I'm going to pray, and uh, then our, our panel can kind of come on up, and I'll turn it over to Tyler. Father, we just uh, love you so much, and we are thankful for the gift it is to be your sons and daughters. Lord, I am so um, overwhelmed with the work that you, just even the little bit that I get to see, and I know there's so much more happening in our city, and the ways in which you are sanctifying us, you are um, bringing to the surface sin, Lord, you're bringing to the surface conflict and division, and things that, if they stay within us as, as your body, um, we will be sick, Father, and so I thank you for perfecting us, for sanctifying us, for growing us. Um, Father, I thank you for the difficult environments, Father, that leadership pulls us into and the ways in which um, you bring us to points where we need wisdom beyond our own and we need discernment beyond our own human capacity and the ways in which your spirit meets us and our weaknesses and empowers us and helps us to, um, to speak your truth, to speak love, um, and to speak prophetically, Lord, against injustice and uh, for love. And so I just pray that you would help us to more... Um, humbly represent you in this city, that you would help us to grow in our love for one another, that we would understand each other and each other's context more and more, that you would help us to be one, Father, um, and that the world would know us through our love for one another. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, well thanks uh, you all for being here. My name is Tyler Johnson. I am the lead pastor of Redemption Church and one of the founders of the Surge Network. Um, if you know of Redemption, it's a multi-congregational church throughout the state, and uh, I have a privilege to be a part of that. And so I want each one of the panelists to introduce themselves, and I'm going to ask you each to introduce yourself, your role, uh, your church, and the context the church finds itself in. And then if there's anything that you think it's important for the crowd to know about you. So if you have a strong persuasion in a certain direction, whether that be theologically or politically, um, I think kind of a starting point would be really helpful for people. Now, if you feel like you don't have that, um, don't. I'm not asking to say anything, but I really, when we get into conversations that are this honest, 
I tend to be of the persuasion that I think it's really helpful um, to start from a place to just kind of go, here's who I am. Like, I'm not trying to hide much. I'm not trying to, this is really where I am so that we can create the most amount of honest dialogue that we possibly can. Uh, so that said, I'm just going to ask each of you to introduce yourself. Uh, Josh Harp, and I'm from Via Church. I'm a pastor out there, an associate pastor out there. I oversee our adult teaching department, our missions department, and our communications department, and I help to also lead on something we just call our teaching team, which is our lead pastor, myself, and our executive pastor that really help to shape our the series that we go through and the teaching that we go through as a church. So it's a pleasure to be here, honored to be on the panel. Um, and I would say uniqueness about me when I was in college, my wife and I both were preparing to be missionaries. We were cross-cultural students at a, a university called North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I did not have uh, pastoring in my horizon. And what I was thinking and the trajectory of where life was going, God opened some doors and this is where I am. But based on just some of my education and some of my passion from my university days, I really have a heart for diversity and perspective and uh, really seeking to understand and grow cultural diversity where, wherever I'm at. And so uh, that's something that uh, some folks don't know, I suppose. So interesting perspective. Yes. So VIA is Pentecostal. Uh, we come out of the Assemblies of God tradition. So that's kind of where we're rooted in. But really, within the last five years, our theological palette has grown into some, some of the more Reformed traditions. And so we're kind of theologically confused right now. But uh, uh, I'm totally kidding. Uh, well, kind of. Um, but there's even a bit of diversity theologically on our pastoral staff. And we're kind of OK with that tension. We're willing to kind of lead where God leads us, or go where God leads us, and that's kind of the path that we're on right now. So yeah, rooted in the Pentecostal tradition, um, and really discovering some of the beauties and the richness of Reformed theology, which is kind of an odd thing. So that's where we're at. Uh, my name is Vermone Pierre. I'm lead pastor of Preaching and Mission at the Roosevelt Community Church, also located downtown Phoenix. Um, we are a diverse church, and uh, by diverse, we're not just diverse uh, ethnically or, or socioeconomically, uh, really diverse in those areas, but uh, in particular, uh, I find that we're diverse in, in a lot of these sort of issues in terms of where people are politically. There's a ton of diversity in our church. Uh, any particular issue, there's huge debate <laughs> in our church on it. Um, there's uh, also a lot of uh, theological diversity. We have people coming from Wesleyan backgrounds, Assembly of God backgrounds, uh, Reform backgrounds, uh, Presbyterian, I mean, all sorts of different backgrounds. So um, there's uh, great blessings in that. There's unique challenges in leading a church like ours, uh, given the diversity of opinions. Um, that being said, uh, sort of as, as uh, leadership, uh, representing the leadership at Roosevelt, we find ourselves more aligned in terms of, our, I might say, our theological tradition with uh, Reformed traditions. This is mostly through connections I have with the Gospel Coalition. And so, uh, like any particular theological tradition, um, there's good things and there's challenges with that. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that as well. We did this perfectly so that you, we can represent on each side of black and white now. I'm Ricardo Stewart. I'm the lead pastor of Tempe. Now I'm the lead pastor of teaching and mission as well. I just took that title as well. Um, I, uh, our church is a reformed church. Uh, we are, in terms of just uh, ethnicity-wise, we're about 70, 75% white, and then the rest are, are minorities. Uh, very young church. Uh, we, I think our, 
our median age is somewhere between 25 and 27. Uh, like I said, we're in Tempe, not too far from ASU. Um, and I think that's it. For personally myself, I are theologically, I said, reformed. I grew up in LA, and then uh, I've been out here ever since. And so uh, a lot of the things that have been interesting, which we'll get into conversations about what's been happening, not just in the past several weeks, but also in the past several years, are interesting uh, given the context of the people of the church that I'm in. I took over the church that I lead. Uh, the church that I lead was uh, predominantly white, hipster, kind of whatever flavor you would think of that particular church uh, would be who we are. Um, that's change, and that's changing, um, and not because we're running people out or anything like that. We just probably don't, f I probably don't fit that as, uh, as much as the, the guy who uh, led before me. So uh, I don't know how to answer this question. I don't work at a church. <clears throat> My parents, so my name is Ian Danley. My parents started neighborhood ministries, uh, mostly my mom. Uh, my dad is kind of, uh, he's a commercial painter and supported my mom along the way. Uh, but we grew up, that grew out of Open Door Fellowship, which was kind of a non-denominational um, Plymouth Brethren, actually, is the f original sort of theological background. They changed from that, and the neighborhood ministries is a whole nother, I don't know what they are, we are. Jimmy's here. Jimmy, what are we? Who knows? We're in the hood. Um, soup, really complex, uh, confused, complicated place. A lot of love. We love Jesus. Um, important to know about me is I had cancer twice, and I'm pretty sure I wasn't going to make it, and then Jesus did something. So that's why I believe. Um, I love Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. So if you want to know my theology, that's probably my theology. I work for One Arizona. We register voters, nonpartisan work. That's what I do for a living. Real quick, will you talk about the perspective you have from growing up in the neighborhood, around neighborhood ministries, specifically the people that you work from? Because um, I think that's unique. Of You definitely come at perspectives like we're going to talk about today from the vantage point of many of these folks that are struggling. So would you just give a little bit of light of that? Yeah, so 1982, my mom, so Dr. Perkins, John Perkins, if you know who he is, and Wayne Gordon in Chicago, and uh, uh, who was some of the others, uh, Baki, Ray Baki, kind of created this whole let's move back to the city thing, kind of missionaries back to the city, or inner city, they would have talked about, they called it relocation. Um, this is 1982 for us. The books weren't written yet, but my mom was like, we're going to do that. And so we did it, and she bought a house at 16th Avenue McDowell when that was a rough neighborhood. It's pretty nice now. Um, but it wasn't then. And uh, a bunch of bikers and crack acts were living at the time. All the windows were broken. It still doesn't have air conditioning. It didn't growing up. Uh, so that's where I grew up. Went to Kenilworth and North High School. And there really wasn't other Anglo families in, in those schools, in particular in those days. So, and this was the, the ministry kind of grew out uh, of that, really youth-focused. They started a food bank. And now it's, you know, a large nonprofit, probably a lot of you know about it. Um, a lot of, still a lot of youth programs, but they have a clinic now and a whole early education program. And what I started when I worked there for about a decade was a social justice department, which is really looking at systems change and addressing more of the policy problems, the root of the problem. So what I would say a lot of the time was neighborhood ministries was, 
you know, looking at this river and there's these bodies going down this river and everybody's just like, let's get these people out of the river. Let's save these bodies. And then they built a little shack for them to sleep and get healthy. And they built a little clinic for the bodies to get healthy. And then all of a sudden somebody comes around and is like, who's pushing these people in the river in the first place? And let's go upstream and see how we can uh, stop the problem at the, at the source. And that's, that's how I see my kind of role in the, in the sort of theory of change. Just quickly, I think it's really important as you get into these conversations. So the, the frame of today is how to lead the church in tumultuous, perilous times. And I really want you to see that, that we've gone through this whole summer. There's a huge race conversation um, that to say conversations far too tame that's happening inside of our culture. Um, easily one of the most hostile political seasons we've ever seen, and it's really inside the church. Um, there, you have huge issues when it comes to refugee situations and concerns about what's happening with refugees and concerns what's happening with immigration. And the reality is that we are living in very new and unique times. And the church really has a calling, always and forever, to be salt and light. John Stott has this quote, that he talks about to Christians specifically, that we should not be those who are lamenting the ills, lamenting may not be the word he says, who are outwardly, publicly critiquing the ills of society and saying, here's why society is so bad, this is why so bad, this is why it's so bad, that when the lights go off in a house, he says, that's what happens when, so when nighttime comes and a house gets dark, that's what happens. The question should be is, where's the light, is what he says. And he's really trying to say what the church at moments like these should be doing is not so much pointing the finger out there. Let me tell you everything that's wrong with them, but really in the end going, who are we? And who are we called to be? So the conversation today is really to get beyond the if we engage in these questions and to really talk about the how. Because that's not an easy question. And I, we want to acknowledge, and Danae said this, that there's a presumption in that. Not everybody in this room even agrees with if we should. What Danae was trying to say to you is if you've been around Surge, we believe we should be. And one uh, passage for that is Matthew 23, 23, is this moment where Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And he says, woe to you hypocrites. You do all these religious things but you neglect the weightier matters of the law that regard justice and mercy. So we just look at Jesus and go, this is very obvious that as Christians, we are to care about issues of justice and issues of mercy in the totality of what they are. We know that's complex, which is why we're having a conversation today. So the hope for the rest of this time is that there's very much a free-flowing conversation, not just amongst the panel, but also amongst you all at the table. So we're going to start this way. At your tables, I want you to quickly have a discussion on when you get into these issues, these hostile things, the church and social engagement and concerning themselves with kind of societal problems, what concerns you and what fears do you have? So just talk around your table, what concerns you and what fears do you have? All right. Let's just... Uh get this going a little bit and get you all um, engaged. I wish we had three to four hours to have this conversation, uh, but we don't. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, Vermon, uh, my first question is to you. As a local church pastor and that believes in sin, and by that I mean that sin really pervades all the dimensions of human life, 
Um, there's a lot of problems that are out there. How do you all, how do you as a pastor and you leading the team of leaders at Roosevelt Community determine what you're going to speak into and what you're not going to speak into? Well, that's a, that's a big opening question. Um, I think uh, I immediately accept the fact that I won't be able to speak with the same force on every single issue that's out there. I think I think you just have to say that going in that um, this is where I think a good sense of you know we are one local church and, and one of my one of my elders he often says this and I love it he says we're not the only healthy church in, in Phoenix there's plenty of other ones <laughs> uh, lots of people involved in each of those churches we're we're not the end all be all right and so um, having that sense that um, and this is why honestly I think networks like this are really important and helpful. Um, there's a sense of a multiplying effect where I think as I'm connected with other churches, there might be some issues where um, we, we're we not going to be as fully engaged, but I'm going to be supportive of other churches that are going to be more in the front lines on, uh, on those kind of issues. And so really implicit then in the answer is that I think uh, in many respects just sort of prayerfully thinking through, all right, what, what where do we think we're at? Where do we think we're uniquely poised? What do you think we uniquely represent that we are able then to, to speak uh, authoritatively or, or forcefully uh, into particular issues? Because then I do think there are some issues that you, I think it's, it's um, how should I put this? Uh, well, I think it is unwise and perhaps maybe even sinful that the church is silent on it because of where your church is, is poised um, and the issues that are around you. So, for example, if you're a church um, in Africa and you're surrounded by cases of AIDS and other things like that, uh, big, uh, there's big issues related to that for you just to say, well, it's not really our deal. I think is, is extremely troubling. And so I do think the particular place that you're in, the state that we're in, all these other things does lend itself to um, maybe be more actively involved in, in, in some issues and in other issues. I think you should be informed about, but you might not be sort of on the front lines on. You might be more supporting other churches and what they're doing. Josh, you all, um, as you answer this question, I'd love for you to talk about the demographic of VIA and just to, for them, for those who are out here leading inside a church to understand um, a little bit of the tension of this. But you all, um, after the recent shootings, um, ended up writing a letter that went to the entire congregation that was incredibly well stated. I'm not certain. Make sure you let people know if there's a way to access that. Um, but talk about the inside conversation amongst the leaders on how did you decide to address this? And then how did you aside, decide how you were going to address it? Like what you were going to actually say? How did that letter come about? And also tell people what it said so we don't presume upon that. Yes. Yeah. So first piece, demographic information on our church. Uh, church has been around for about 40 years, was established uh, in the early 70s. And that portion of Mesa, if, you, if you've been out to our church, it, it is like on the edge of the world, like from here. And at the time... It was very desolate. There are retirement communities out there, and that's how the church got started. It was really a retirement church. Um, the previous name of the church was Red Mountain Christian Center, but people, like 20 years ago, nicknamed it Dead Mountain Christian Center because of where it was located and, and some of the demographic information. Um, but with the growth of Mesa and the way that you've even seen Mesa grow, there have been a huge influx of young families. And in the, in the mid early to mid-90s, the church grew by leaps and bounds with young, um, middle to upper class families that were just coming out, establishing themselves in areas like Alta Mesa and, and now in areas like Lacendas and, and places like this around the area. So demographically right now, we have 
a good portion of our congregation that is retirement age um, and a good portion of our congregation that is young families with kids. And so we kind of uh, have those two pieces of demographic going on. Um, I would say politically, uh, I, I can't say that it's probably more Republican, but the more Republican voices tend to emerge. And so that's kind of where the church is at from a political standpoint, probably more right wing. Um, and so when we consider some of that information, uh, we walked through that week, uh, as all of you did, in shock and disbelief, um, not even knowing, as things were just hitting the news, not even knowing really how to fully process what was going on. Um, Friday, so we have Fridays off uh, as a staff. Friday, I just remember just sitting there, just kind of looking at Facebook going, it's just blowing up with stuff from all over the place. Like we're seeing folks from our congregation that are saying this and saying that. And some of it was just so painful as a pastor to see your heart just broke going, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's just, it hurt. And then up on my feed popped this uh, letter that Missy O'Day had put together that Chris Gonzalez, I think Chris is here, Chris and Kevin Platt had put together for their church just to kind of address the family and say, hey, this has been just a... a week of tragedy, and how do we think about this, and how do we walk through this as a church? And that really kind of inspired our teaching team to kind of do the same thing. And so really as a direct result of our involvement with the Surge Network, our connection with Missy O'Day, we saw that, and the teaching team just decided, let's, let's craft a letter. So that's what we did on Saturday. Um, we took it out to the kind of the greater pastoral staff and just said, is this what we want to say? So we sent around kind of an earlier draft to them, and they, it was unanimous, yeah, let's Let's say this. This is where we need to move. Um, part of the intention of that letter was just us knowing our congregation, seeing how they were responding, and I think just a pastoral impulse to just say we want to equip our congregation to be able to engage with this issue in a way that's not just well-informed, but it's biblically saturated so that they can speak about this to their coworkers who are going to be asking about it on Monday and so that they can have conversations um, with their biblical convictions fully intact. And so we put together that letter and, and got it out through a few different um, mediums. So we published it on the website and then we put it out through, we have an email blast that goes out each week. We did a special one of those just for that letter and then put it out on social media as well. And uh, just really the, the heart of that was to equip our congregation to be able to really thoughtfully and biblically engage with what we saw and what we experienced. Um, and not to throw quick judgment at it, not to stay silent about it, um, but to enter into the compassion, realizing there's nuance and complexity when you enter into justice issues. Uh, 